long off season, but we are back on Unplugged. And just thinking about it then, season five, technically, obviously, we came through late in 2019 and obviously had the pandemic years of 20 and 21 and then last year as well. And we are back again, looking forward to hopefully plenty of special guests over the course of the year. We've got a few uh, sort of lined up tentatively that we look forward to bringing through the course of the season. It's a hugely significant year for the club, as we know, 150 years uh, in our history. We know that um, a lot of that history hasn't always been particularly kind to us, but it's never been boring. There's been superstars left, right and centre. There's been storylines where we've been uh, the main characters uh, through all of that. There's been a little bit of success, clearly not enough, obviously a lot of pain, uh, and we'll celebrate obviously the journey and what it is to be St Kilda supporters over the course of this 2023 season. Darren Parkin is my name. We obviously, we've done a fair old review of 2022 and we know the major talking points that came out of that in in the coaching change and the like but we'll reflect a bit more on that as well but um also got Aaron McGrath and, and Nick Splitter alongside me and H um yeah we, we come together again it's been an interesting pre-season and um I think that we just had to wait for the dust to settle after all of the out rat and in line conversations that we had late last year early this year yeah I think most of the talk over their pre-season's being going to be actually who's going to light round one for us. That, that, that's seems seems to be our main issue at the moment. Um, how do we field a team? So, um, but the, we seem to have plugged a few holes in the pre-season matches we've played. Like, we've decided to pick up a VFL player that Carlton didn't think was any good and it, we, this kid can clunk everything. We're looking at going, how, how's he not been picked up by someone? Uh, so, yeah, it's not like we're going to struggle to put a team out there, but I think, yeah, we, we're going to have a few players who are going to fill holes and maybe just show a bit that, yeah, and that we could play them a bit more than what we were really expecting to be. But it's going to be because we, we've got a bit, a bit of a tough start. So we're really probably going to need those few to come through. And, yeah, so that's probably... Probably been the biggest thing we've talked about over the off season at the moment of who, yeah, who we're actually going to put where and that sort of thing. So yeah, it's been interesting. Yeah, we're going to have to be brave and tough early in the season, no doubt. We'll talk about that in a moment. Our injury list is growing. Obviously, some of the big names on it creeping closer to a return, but there's going to be some issues early on in the piece. Nick, we were at Morabin on whatever day it was last last week, Friday, I think mm-hmm. it was. Um, yep, and. Obviously, it took us a while, like a lot of people trying to get into Moorabbin, such was the crowd, and we missed Marcus Windhager's injury, but that was one that uh, that did filter through. And what have been your, I guess, major takeaways of the, the pre-season journey so far? Well, I mean, I think the same as, as everybody. The, the major takeaway of the, the pre-season is the injuries and, and the, the scale of the injury list at the moment and the types of players that are on that list. Obviously, you know, we know Max King. Um, there's a bunch of other guys from you know, Jack Billings and Zach Jones. Um, Hayes, Allison, Membry, even to some extent, you know, hopefully he's good to go around one. Um, and a bunch of the, the younger guys as well. Like you mentioned Win Hager, um, Dan McKenzie, we, we found out last week as well, um, on that injury list and, and no kind of specific, uh, return date for him either. And we know how important he was to our, our setup and the way that we structured last year and his run and carry and his toughness through the middle and, and on the wing and all that sort of stuff. So it really is the, the key point. I mean, it's kind of overshadowed all the other stuff around, you know, Ross Lyons, 
return and what's his what's his game plan going to be you know how does the 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 returning crew um kind of set up in, in terms of the coaching structure and who's doing what uh, there hasn't actually been a lot of that conversation because um you know it's kind of it's all been how like you said h how are we going to field the team in, in round one and who's going to line up where that's really been the main takeaway not not how are we going to play but you know who's going to be out there obviously there are a couple that are in the mix, so Windhager reports are he's still a decent chance of playing. The fact that we're Sunday twilight might help. Um, Membry would come in on limited minutes, but but hopefully he plays. Zach Jones won't be there. That worried me a little bit that he was ruled out of round one with an Achilles about four weeks out from round one. Um, it's pr- probably hard to determine that that's going to heal. If, if you're adamant that he can't play a month later, the chances of him playing a month and a week later you'd think would be – reasonably slim. As you say, the McKenzie news, he was obviously uh, behind us at the practice match. And yeah, to, to have no fixed state of return is, is a worry. Mm. Billings, not ideal, um, given the role he could potentially play. It probably opens the door for Philippe. Uh, the backup players like Hayes and Ellison. Ellison, not so much. I think with all due respect to, to Matt Ellison, if we're missing him, at this stage, given he hasn't played league footy, that would be a concern. Uh, Max King. The, the only yeah. thing about about mm. Allison was that at that point we'd already lost King and Hayes. Correct. And so Correct. you're already looking at your third string kind of key forward. Yeah. Um, and then for him to go down, it's like oh, shit. What do we do now? Yeah. Like, yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't that Matt Allison was going to be a game breaker or you know kind of the, the thing that that broke the camel's back. But you once you've lost kind of those those two guys ahead of you and question marks around memory. And um, I think at that stage, Tom Campbell was still not fit with his Achilles. And yeah, so how can you play Rowan Marshall forward if you have to, if he's got to be the one, the one ruck, all that sort of stuff was just kind of, just kind of piled on top of each other. And and like you said, if you're worried about Matt Allison and mm. potentially Hayes uh, missing, then you're probably not in that, that greater position anyway. Yeah, it probably, exactly. it probably hurts yeah. him. Probably hurts him more. Yeah, the fact that he would have got a chance now yeah. show what he's got. That that's the issue. That the position would have been there, but he can't show it because yeah, mm. he misses out as well. So it's a it, it's the bigger loss there is actually for him in the end when you look at it that way. So. Yeah, and look, obviously Max, we're, we're thinking round seven for him. He's so important to the structure. He was number two in the AFL last year for targets inside 50, uh, and it was about 181 or something like that. It was about 100 more than the next most at St Kilda, which was Membry, and look, he may not play round one either, So, and we'll rank 15th for scoring if you put all of that in. So mm. for, for a side that struggled to score, to be missing your, your top two targets, obviously it forces us to change. And it puts pressure on guys like Higgins and Butler and the the youngster Filippo, who looks really good. Um, and Mitch then, Owens down there, yeah, now. absolutely. Um, and, and then obviously, say, how, how how much does watching him last week excite you about that compared to? I mean, we're excited going into last year with him, and and you sort of see what he does put on some size. On Friday, yeah, you sort of go. Oh, I'm more excited than last year now. For him. He's a big boy, and uh, yeah. yeah. And, and Philippe looks a real talent. Um, obviously, he'd be a debutante. Caminiti would be a debutante. But as you say, H got good hands. Um, that's where. And look, I know Cam. Sharma didn't play on Friday night, which was interesting. Um, Campbell missed a game with the birth of a child, um, but he's important to allow Marshall to play forward. But he dominated in the ruck. And I guess the other one is um, which of the defenders they play forward. H because they mm. played. Um, 
the Cordy from the Bulldogs forward without impact really in, in either game. Um, it feels like our best option in that space is Josh Battle, but um, obviously he's another one who's a natural defender. But if you look at all of our defenders and their ability to play forward, he looks the one that is most capable of playing yeah. forward. I, I'd much prefer leaving the back line alone. Hmm. The back line is solid. The back line is set. The, the, you look at how they worked together last season and we look and go, none of them are having trouble. None of them are injured. None True. Them. Get that set up and get that working. Get them – we'll play around with the forward line. Let, mm-hmm. Throw whoever up there. I don't, okay, play Jack Steele full forward. We've seen him do it before. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. I mean, just just mix the forward and the mids around. They get that back set, back back six set. Get them working together and start from the defense. And that then that's pretty. It's probably how Ross played a lot of these footy when we first came came to us. He started from the back line, and, and that's where his strength was. So he, he's got a good group to work with down there. Get that set, and yeah, don't. I wouldn't be playing around with it too much. My my concern is that Zane Cordy was always always came here as kind of the backup key defender who was going to take that kind of monster key forward when we're in those matchups when we, when we need to. And I mean, he, we we know that he's played forward on occasion, but he's not a great for. I mean, he's not a great defender. Let's be honest, he's not a great defender, and that's his kind of key role. He's not a great forward. He's he's probably a worse forward than he is a defender. Um, I don't know. It, I think for me, it really comes down to um, whether Tom Campbell is available to play, especially round one. Yeah. You know, you're looking, looking at that ruck combination of, of Darcy and Jackson. Um, we really need two, two ruckmen to be able to, to, to match up with those guys. And yeah, I, I like Rowan Marshall one out as a ruckman. I think he plays his best footy as a one out ruck. He can get around the ground, but right now when we're really struggling for key forwards, like that's even more important that Marshall can push forward, Campbell can chop out in the ruck and, and kind of take that uh, the the Sean Darcy uh, center bounces and and you know stoppages around the ground. Marshall can can still use his running power um, through the middle, but but really impact the scoreboard and, and be a, a, a marking target up forward. When you when you consider how important someone like Max King and Tim Membry, if he doesn't play, are, and that means that we don't have to move someone like a battle forward. But uh, I'm I'm I'd be much more comfortable playing Josh Battle as a forward than Zane Cordy. As, as journeymen go, I mean Tom Campbell's better than than most as as ruckman. He can actually get the footy a bit around the ground. He's I think he's kicked four in a game a couple of times over the course of his career. He can play those roles a little bit. He's not like a lumbering ruckman that might get five possessions and can't take a mark inside fifty, but can get a few taps. Campbell's got a little bit more to him than that. He's not a star, but he can compete. And we spoke a lot about it that obviously. To the timing of, of Ryder's re- retirement hurt us a little bit because he can clearly play forward, so that would have been very useful for us. But um, obviously, also that, the, that the wasn't example the, that yeah. the the example of you know, Tom Campbell in St Kilda colours wasn't a great sample size last year. You know that that game in Cairns where it was, uh, and then I think he played. Did he play the last Sydney. game against Sydney? Maybe. Oh, I know he was going to. He was named. He might have been a laid out, possibly. Or, but um, but yeah, he was um, at the in the VFL level. He was getting forty-seven hitouts, twenty-five touches, like ripping games VFL. to shreds. Yeah. Um, but you know that that yeah. game, that one game where he came in, uh, yeah. and I think we we spoke about it that week on the, on the podcast that week was just like 
Silly. If you're going to play yeah. Tom Campbell in any single game of the season, that's not the one. Yeah. That's not the one in Cairns when it's sloppy and like yeah. all that sort of stuff. He, he well, did. He, I just he, read he, he did play the Sydney game. Yeah. yeah. 12 possessions, 17 hit outs, five marks, 10 contested possessions. Yeah. Four tackles. So he works sol- hard. Solid like, game. Yeah. yeah. He works hard. And he's certainly better than some of those other kind of second string rucks that we've had over the years. Um, you know, if we had to, if we had to battle through with with Tom Campbell and Rowan Marshall as the ruck duo, and, and Marshall can go play forward for a bit to kind of chop out memory and and whatever, like I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm all right with that. Yeah, Marshall could take. You know, he's a he's a guy that could get you know 16 possessions, eight marks, three goals as a forward. He can do that. Mm. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Caminiti looks like he'll. He'd play, I would think. But, yeah, the Sharma one's interesting. Kicked four or five in the second half against Melbourne, admittedly, in the reserves aspect of that game, which is still going, I think, um, <laughs> which is probably why he didn't play against Essendon because he was still still out there in that one. But, um, yeah, it, it was odd that we, we probably had the same conversation 12 months ago that Sharman was out of favour, different coach, maybe still out of favour. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a real interesting one. I think that the fact that he didn't get a run in that kind of in the seniors yeah. game last week w- was was a sign. And and I think so. I had, had this chat with someone today, and and a little bit of an inside word, and has some connections and and whatever. And said he's spoken to to some of the the assistant coaches, and and kind of the word out of the club is that they're just not sure about his height, like whether he's big enough to be a key forward. He's obviously not a small forward. So how can they best utilize him? And, and there's some question marks around that, which jump. I find really confusing. Yeah, like if, if if the word was he doesn't work hard enough, and Ross doesn't rate his work ethic or his defensive pressure or whatever, I'd understand that. Which I think, I think is what they said probably, twelve months ago. I think. That's right. And I think yeah. we've all kind of commented on that. Yeah. At time. Like he seems like a bit of a mercurial talent. Um, potentially doesn't do all that defensive stuff and the one percenters and the the work rate and, and blah blah blah. Rocket Ede spoke about it when he was on the pod two years ago that, you know, was never a you know an amazing trainer, you know, didn't put the, the K's in at training, but would just do incredible things uh at times. And and I think we've seen that. And so if that was the word out of the club that, you know, he's not doing enough, he's got to show more, he's got to work harder, you'd probably understand it. But to hear things like we did you know, he's not tall enough or he's not big enough or what is is a bit confusing, especially when you look at the the spate of injuries that we've got in the forward half, and the fact that you wouldn't even send him out for a run or, or a quarter to see how he goes in that sort of structure is is interesting to say the least. Yeah, it is, and um, obviously we'll we'll find out. I mean, it'll be we'll get to season expectation in in a minute. I think some of that talk's been a little bit harsh, but but clearly the start of the year is really important. Our first two games of the year will start underdogs in. Um, if we can snag one of those, Fremantle or the Bulldogs at Marvel, both tough, but get one of those. Essendon's always a problem for us, but I actually like playing them at the MCG, and they were pretty ordinary the other day. I know that's a practice match, but... Um, I hope it's windy. Yeah, that's right. Um, obviously, they kicked 3-14, which helped our cause, but Collingwood, Gold Coast, I think after that, you know, if we could find a way somehow to be 3-3, three and three, then there's enough upside, I think, for us to try to build from there. I mean, two and four we could be. One and five would be obviously almost curtains. But um, it, it's really a test of resolve in the early part of the year. I mean, Severos, I think there was a little niggle for him as well. Um, Brad Hill missed that game for personal reasons, so you assume that he'll be okay. And, and 
um, will be right, which will help. And he won a best and fairest under Ross. So I'm really keen to see how he plays um, under Lyon again. So and it was one of the key the key things that Ross spoke about when he you know he kind of signed was the, the running power, clearly referring to Brad Hill and being able to use him on the wing as you know, how he's how he's been used to using Brad Hill in, in the past. Yeah. And I'm not. I don't. In terms of those injuries, too, it's not just a case that Max King's the saviour and solves all of those problems. There's more to it than that. There's other players and other other layers to it. But just got to strap ourselves in, H, in those first six weeks, ride it out, try to grind some results, and stay in the yeah. season. Yeah, I mean, that that's what we've got to do. We've got to, as I say, we got we got to find the best mix to start off with. Mm. Fight. I mean, we've got six weeks to try things in some positions when you look at it. I mean, we there's there's six weeks to go. Who's our best full forward or best key forward at that at the very moment ahead of Max when he arrives? So if someone has an absolute breakout in that time, when we come when Max gets back and we come up with against a team, they're gonna be going, Okay, well we can cover King, but now we've seen this other forward killing other teams already. So it's, then they have to start thinking, okay, well, King's back. We've got to cover them still too. It, it, there's the whole opportunity of basically getting another name out there and, yeah, basically saying, look, we've got more than one option. We've got better options up there at times. We're not just going to kick to King every time we enter the forward line now. Correct. The, Less predictable. Ross yeah. hopefully has a better idea of going, okay, well, I know how I'm going to run this. And when Max comes back, there's a spot and you just slot straight into it. There, there'll be that option of, do we play this player? Do we play this player once he's back? Do we, different teams set up different ways and there'll be change, maybe tactical changes in the way of selection each week from there on. Or There's it, it a whole lot of opportunity to figure things out before we basically try. Hopefully, we have a really good run of injuries during the season. That, as we're saying, round six or seven, we get a full team back, and they're fighting for position, and everything is tactical from there on. Rather than we need someone to fill this position, we need someone to fill it's... this position. So, yeah, it's it's a real opportunity to yeah start off the season in a way of tactically, what are we doing? Um, I think opportunities are a real good word because, like, you look at – and it's easy to kind of fall in the trap of everything's negative and key players are injured and and you know, kind of fall in a hole and drop your heads and, and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, I think what we've seen from Rowan Marshall through the preseason is really promising. You know, obviously, um, some of the kids like Philippou and, and Mitch Owens is really exciting, mm-hmm. you know, being able to see them and, and kind of the – the, the youth and exuberance and skill and, you know, all, all that sort of stuff is really exciting. And, and like you said, it, you know, if, if we had everyone in, then maybe those two guys aren't going to get the, the opportunity to kind of be put in the spotlight early in the year. And, and we're going to see them kind of to, to hopefully, um, you know, their, their full ability in, in maybe slightly different roles than, than they would have imagined, or we would have imagined 12 months ago or six months ago or, or whatever. But, um, you know, there really is an exciting opportunity, and and Parker, you said it at the top, kind of is a really good early test of our medal to to be able to see if some of these kids have got what it takes to play at this senior level, 
um, at, at this age. And you know, everything that we've seen so far, you know, Mitch Owens just throws himself at the contest. You know, he loves body on body. His one percenters, you know, right up there in the way that he attacks the contest and the ball, right up there with guys like Dan Butler and Jack Steele and, and those sorts of guys, which is really exciting for a kid his size um, who's going to be playing forward and kind of a, a marking target for a while. Um, Philippe, obviously, like his his just pure ability and natural flair is is something that we haven't had for such a long time. He reminds me a lot of Brendan Goddard in kind of that natural confidence that he's got. Um, BJ was probably a bit more arrogant in, in terms of his kind of uh, personality, but but Philippe is just like just seems really naturally confident and self aware of, of his own talents um, and where he wants to be. You know, he, he kind of walked in and said, I, re- I want to be a really good player and I'm going to do whatever it takes to, to get to that point. Um, and you, you hear how Ross talks about him, you hear he, how he talks about Ross and that relationship that's kind of blossomed over the last few months. It's just take out kind of the the the, the stuff that I guess every club deals with in, in you know, pre-season injury lists and, and that sort of stuff. Um, and there's some really exciting things to be excited about and, and opportunity that some of these kids are going to get a chance to, to play really early in the season. Yeah, it's a good segue into looking at the season more broadly. Now, I understand not you know diminishing the reputations or opinions of people that sort of know what they're talking about. They've been in the game for a while, but, I mean, everyone has opinions, and that's the way that it works. But I'm not absolutely sure. Whilst I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, we're going to make finals or that's more likely or less likely or anything like that. Clearly that's going to be a struggle because I think that the sides that made finals last year, it's it's hard to see many of those sides going backwards. So we're going to have to find a level of improvement, but I don't fully understand where the uh, bottom four talk has come from Mm. to be truthful. Um, I, I get that a new coach brings a degree of transition with it, but it doesn't have to be that you, the ass falls out of you and you you sort of spiral down the, the ladder. I think our list is not a premiership list yet by any means, but it's not a, a bottom four list either. You've got a, a key forward capable – I know he's going to miss a, a month or so, but a key forward that can kick 50 goals. You've got two or three potential All-Australians in your midfield or across half-back, guys like Steele, Sinclair. You've got – Talented players that if they hit their straps can do some damage like Hill and Gresham. You've got uh, an undercard in the forward line of guys like Membry, Butler and Higgins who are all capable and have all kicked 35 goals in a season over the course of their career. You've got a defence ranked sixth in the AFL uh, and then you've got the injection of a, a couple of kids. Uh, not not to mention Hunter Clark. Exactly. Know, so having a full preseason in the middle. I, I, I'll... I'll I don't know. I'll challenge any of those people to a Palmer or something if they think bottom four. Like, I mean, there's no the, the reason thing about bottom four. Yeah. Like, if you think we're going to finish bottom four, you have to think that one of or more of West Coast, Hawthorne, North Melbourne, or Adelaide are going to finish above us. Exactly. And and look, if you throw up these teams, so there are obviously teams that's going to be hard to finish ahead of. But you look at North Melbourne, West Coast, GWS, as you said, Hawthorne. That's four. Essendon you would throw in as five. And there's another team that I've – Adelaide, I'm not sure if I mentioned Adelaide, them. Yeah, That's yeah, six. Yeah. And then you've got two teams that finished about our level last year, like the Gold Coast and Port Adelaide, that you'd have to be somewhere in the frame with. So that's eight. All of a sudden, that puts you at a 
around about 10th or 11th on the table. And then, Mm. obviously, it's then about whether you can bridge a gap between there and higher. But, um, you know, it might come back to bite me on the arse later, but I'll be stunned if we finish bottom four. Stunned. Yeah, I I don't. I don't don't feel we're in that sort of situation at the moment. I mean, there's a lot of people jumping on second they hear an injury going, oh, there's there's two more losses Mm. for them or something sort of thing is... Max King's out for six weeks. Well, they won't win six of those six matches. No chance. Uh, There's a whole lot of cane cornsing happening. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's it, 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 people jumping on that really quickly and sort of, I mean, it almost, it almost feels like they think, oh, you lose a player, you start the game with a player down. But you replace it. You replace a player. So it's it's not like you go in behind you, you you've restructured you re you change things around so we're not going to yeah we're not going to not turn up we're not going to not give the effort but we just might be a little bit slow out of the blocks but as i saying, we come back later in the year with a full team and hey who knows who we knock off at that time we, we've got to re the mid-season is probably where we have to really consolidate because that, that's our best run through the middle of the year. If we drop those games, then, yeah, things are really struggling. So, um, but, yeah, we get we get to that stage of the year. If we knock, we get a few in the first few rounds, we get um, pinch one somewhere, I know, against, uh, pinch one against Collingwood, pinch one against, I know, Hopefully, for round one against Freo would be a great one to start off, get that bit of confidence up. But if, yeah, I mean, if we all of a sudden start, we, we're zero six or something, and you're sort of going, oh, yeah, yep, mm. yep this is. Oh, of course. We're going to be dire, but yeah. Yeah, and look, it's possible, but I mean, look, and I know I'm in the industry, and, and a lot of these, you know, they're, they're good blokes, a lot of these, and that's not taking that away from it. It's just opinions aren't always right. And in this industry, it's amazing how little accountability there is for opinions that miss by a mile. Mm. I remember 2020, Brad Johnson tipped us to finish 17th, second last. We we were top four most of the year and made the finals and won a final. It's almost a case of you just give him a little nudge. Oh, you got that one wrong, mate, and you move on. It's mm. like, well, I don't know. It's, it it yeah. seems it I, seems I, far I think, too knee-jerk for me, that type of stuff. I mean... Yeah, I, think, I think he's one yeah. of the couple that start us at 18th and then squeeze teams under us. Yeah, There's probably. A, but, I mean... Not I, many... Yeah. And look, they might be right, and they might come back and go, "Oh, geez, boys, you you got that a little bit wrong." And maybe we will, but I just don't see it. It just feels a bit knee jerk to me. Yeah, uh, yeah. Not to way- mention, we we know we you know we've seen we've seen Ross Lyon teams with a bunch of players out. We've we've seen what happens you know when, when there are nine or ten blokes unavailable for whatever reason. You know, he he's the ultimate coach that you want with your backs against the wall because he he. He is a system coach. He knows how to build a structure and it doesn't matter who's in the, in the lineup, who's in the squad that week, you play to the structure. Um, and, you know, that, that's what I expect. And we spoke about this in our, in our season review or, or that episode just after Ross was uh, appointed um, in that what you can expect is not necessarily wins and losses, at least not straight away. But what you can expect is to start to see some more of that discipline and, and structure um, that, yeah, you know, it seemed like we were missing from the outside looking in for for a long time. 
Yeah, and that Essendon game, my, my takeaway from that was, yep, going to be hard to score early in the year against good opposition, but our defence looks well set up. We look pretty well organised as a team. Um, you know, there were some limitations there, but we looked like we were pretty well put together and, and the base was pretty solid. So I would expect a competitive season of footy. Um, who knows? We're going to have to obviously find a way to improve to, to play finals, but I would think a 10-win season is a realistic belief. I think so. I think that's about the mark. I think, you know, listening to, to Charlie Clawson on his um, kind of summer series talking to, to celebrity fans of, of every club. Yeah, they did this thing where you've got to you've got to choose if your team's going to finish in the top six, the middle six, or the bottom six um, of the competition. And I think that we're pretty firmly in that middle six. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I certainly don't see us as, as bottom four. Uh, clearly, we're not top four right now, and may, maybe that changes. Something happens, you know, something clicks or, or whatever. Um, I, I'm, I think we're borderline finals team. Uh, but I certainly think that we we should expect to be in that kind of eight to ten to twelve range, and that's about fair as from a, a preseason expectation. Anyway, we could quite easily sneak into the eight. We could quite easily finish twelfth. Um, but I, I don't think that you know some sort of disastrous season. I don't think we're a bottom four team, and and I don't think some sort of miracle. Um, you know, we're, we're not a top four team. So, and the issue H on that is that. Obviously, part of the problem is we've been stuck in that middle bracket for a while, and that's a bad place to be. Um, so I'm not celebrating, say, if it was a 10 and 12 season, but you can still transition the right way. A lot of people assume that if you're stuck in the in the middle table, you've got to bottom out by falling over. It's like, well, here's a novel idea. Why don't you go the other way? You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Like, well, do some tinkering and, you know, it doesn't have to. Geelong have proven. When, when was Geelong have always either been – or Sydney, top six or middle six. Yeah. So how do they how do they avoid falling of, into that bottom? Yeah, you know what I mean. The only hope of a team who was missing finals just constantly is Richmond. Yeah, they they did that for quite a while, and mm-hmm. yeah, we've we've seen where they've got to. So that that's you're sort of looking. Okay, it's been done before. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got the other teams who have gone the other way, like North Melbourne. They sort of hung around that area and then completely bottomed out. So, yeah, it, it can go either way. It's, it's just going to be a case of, yeah, list management, good recruiting, and, yeah, getting getting things right. That That's as simple as it is. You, if things are working well on field, off field, the winds start coming. And, yeah, that, that, that's basically what we have to do. We've just got to get things Right, and you feel like from from a list management perspective, we are starting to turn that around. You know, making smart decisions at the draft table. Um, you know, all those sorts of things. Look, look at the guys that we brought in last year in terms of uh, Winhager, um, Winhager, Winhager, Mitch Owens, Wanganine Miller. Obviously, this year, you know, Matthias Philip. Who you know, having those the, the pick nine, the pick ten, the eleven and twelve that you can still get really good players. But you've got to do it the right way. You've got to, you know, you've got to make smart decisions. And I think historically we haven't always made smart decisions. In fact, probably the opposite. We've always made dumb decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it does look like over the last kind of 12, 18, 24 months that that we have started to turn that around, and we do make better decisions at, at the draft table. And and we we're selecting you know, best players available, not reaching for a guy because it fills a need that we we have. You know, we're getting kind of guys that that we need. Um, but that are also really high quality, high character people, um, 
you know, incredibly talented. All all of those guys are incredibly talented, um, so, and you know, yeah. making making good decisions, like you said, H. Yeah, instead of trying to slot the player in, having the player come in and try to slot themselves into somewhere that we that a position sort of evolves for them, or rather than going, yeah, take you, you go in, you, that's what you are, sort of thing. It, it, there's players who have come to us that aren't what they were then when they arrived. They're doing a completely different job now. They've, we've seen what we, I guess, we've seen the player and then they've become what we've need, not rather than mm. forced into. So, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's plenty of players we've tried to make something that really has not worked. And, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's the evolution of a good team. When you look at a player, that player can change who they are and become successful. Now, I'll put you on the spot, but I'll give you a bit of time to um, think of this while I do some of the other admin side of things. But we're going to look at some sort of predictions. So I'll do a two-parter on that for you to think about for a second. One is who will win the best and fairest? And the second part of that question is who would you like to see win the best and fairest? Because if you think they do, it would be something that might catapult us up the ladder. And the other one would be who is the the breakout or the rising star doesn't mean winning a BNF, but someone who's going to take another significant step as a player this season. Now we are running a competition via our socials as well. It's a copy of the fantastic book written by one of our guests from a couple of seasons ago in Russell Holmesby and got to thank Russell as well. He's, uh, an enormous assistant in terms of helping us get guests and, and things on, on this podcast. His book is Strength Through Loyalty, Saints at Moorabbin and Beyond. If you head to our Unplugged socials, you can find out more about how to secure that. We're on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And one of my very first football books was written by Russell Holmesby, the point of it all written in the early 90s. Um, and he's uh, as good a historian as any football club has. So make sure you uh, you get a look at that one. And as always, uh, a lot of the channels give you the chance to rate us. So good feedback, bad feedback, whatever it would be, hopefully five stars. If you do listen to us on any particular platform, it should offer you a rating service, and those ratings do help us in terms of traction and things like that. So if you like us and you want to hear a bit more of it, give that a bit of a shout-out for us. We've got some listener questions, which we'll wrap up with in a second. But, uh, H, have I given you enough time to go with, first of all, who will win the best and fairest? And second well, of all, who would you like to have win the best and fairest? I think who will this year, I think because he's going to be a bit more relied relied upon this year, um, just for how we're going to be starting in that. But I reckon Cal Wilkie's a good shout to actually win this year. Yeah, um, definitely. He, he's actually, I mean, he improves year on year, game on game. And I think he's going to have a really have a an impact for us this year to actually be successful. But I think if we are actually successful, that could be led by Rowe. Marshall would be the one who would, I reckon, if he has a massive year, we are right in amongst it. Um, he could be the difference between winning 12 games and six games. Yeah, I like uh, that a lot. That's very good. Um, uh, yeah. Nick? Um, yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I think I think Jack Steele had a good year last year without being superb. I think that he takes that that step back to being you know an elite midfielder. 
this season, I think, you know, he's, he's had a full preseason. I think he's fit and, and ready to go. And and I, I feel like he's one of the guys that, you know, has a bit of a, a chip on his shoulder and, um, you know, he's kind of taking some of this criticism or, or media negativity kind of personally. Um, and, and, you know, I think like we saw a couple of years ago, he was top five in the Brownlow, top three even potentially. Um and he still had a really good year last year, but it, it wasn't to the same uh, the same level, I don't think, last year. So I think that he takes that that step back to being, you know, a top five midfielder in the competition. Um, you're one of the best leaders and, and best captains in the competition. Um, so I think I think he comes back and, and wins the best and fairest. There's a couple of guys that I think if if they have a really good year, that um, it means that we have a really good year. I think Josh Battle settling into that centre half back type role um, that has been so important for us um, in, in our good teams. Um, you know, having a, having a really good kind of creative center half back is, is a really important piece in good teams. And I think that if he, if he has a, a really good season, um, then I think we're in a pretty good spot. Obviously, Jack Sinclair uh, is, is another one. Rowan Marshall, like you said, H if, if Rowan Marshall kind of elevates himself into a top five Ruckman of the competition, not just top 10, which, or, or top 12, which I think he is, um, you know, he is a very solid player, but if he kind of pushes into that top echelon of, of AFL rucks, like I think we know he can, then again, we're, we're in a really good spot. And, and there's a bunch of guys like Brad Hill has a potential to win a best and fairest. If, if Brad Hill has an, an amazing year, we have an amazing year. I think he's one of those guys that, you know, if he plays well, we play well. And if we play well, he plays well. So there's a, there's a combo there. Um, and we're both kind of reliant on each other that, you know, we, we need to put him in a position to play well and, and if he does that, then I think we win games of footy. Um, so they're kind of the guys I think that that you know, have the ability to have the biggest impact. But there's a bunch of them, you know, Gresham, Clark, etc., that that can all kind of take that step. Yeah, I think the the winner of the best and fairest. I think both of the, the shouts are good ones. Wilkie uh, reminds me of the Sam Fisher won best and fairest at St Kilda mm-hmm. a couple of times. That type of thing. Um, Jack Steele certainly, obviously, the shoulder didn't help last year, and he was a bit down for periods, but had some very good footy at the end of the year. Um, and obviously Sinclair is going to be in the mix, but but I, I would agree with the Wilkie or Steele uh, shout as to who will. And I think if, if you have a maximum impact player, winner, best and fairest, that's clearly a great sign for what your year looks like. Um, Marshall was one of those, but I think the two players, Gresham and Hill, um, when, when they play well, they have enormous impacts on results. They've both got flaws. As we know, Hill can be – he can drift in and out of games and he's not the best in the contest. Gresham's ball use is clearly a concern. But when they play well, because they're dynamic, busy players, sharp, quick, um, can break games open – if one of those guys in particular has a really strong year, then it's hard to imagine us not playing well as a side. So um, I'd love to see one of Brad Hill or Jade Gresham win a best and fairest, and, and Gresham mm. in particular not to get injured in the back end of the year. He's, he's lost, obviously, three seasons in a row in the back half of season. So, And the H, the, the breakout, so the, the either the youngster or the emerging player, someone who will be – Firmly entrenched best 22, I guess, by the end of the year. I think Arwen's steps up again. He came out last year and showed he's got something, and this year I think he just goes another step again just to show us that he he has got something. He's got talent. He's got the will to want the ball and use it well and, yeah, just, just be something, someone or something that we need in our team. So he's... 
he, he's he's going to show us something and get us very excited. Um, if, if he ends up taking the like almost the best defender to start the year, once yeah, as I was saying, once Max comes back, he he'll get a lesser defender, and yeah, uh, if he's got the confidence up at that stage, and watch out, everyone, he he's he'll be ready to fly. So hopefully he just yeah takes off this year. It's a really interesting one. I think you know Mason Wood kind of showed in patches last year how important he could be for our structure. I think in in a Ross Lyon team, you know he's the perfect size to to impact through the middle and on the wing. His running power both ways is is elite. He can impact the scoreboard as we saw late in the year. Um, he played some real real important roles for us, and I think that that Ross is kind of the perfect coach for for Mason Wood at this stage of his career. I think he's going to be, you know, if he's not best 22 already, I think he will be by the end of the, the year. Um, one out of left field, you know, obviously Nick Caulfield's coming back. Hunter Clark, we want to see play a full season in the middle. Leo Connolly is one off halfback that I think, when given the opportunity, has the ability to make a real impact. Uh, we know how important Jason Graham was in uh, in Ross Lyon teams, you know, in his first stint um, and, and running defenders. Guys who can can really break the lines, kick long and hit targets are super, super important. We don't have a lot of them. Um, obviously, Sinclair and, and Brad Hill, as, as we've spoken about, kind of play to their their elite ability, then that's going to go a big way to, to making a difference. But Leo Connolly is, is a guy who I feel like has the ability to, to break lines. He takes risks, won't always come off, um, and, he, and he might you know have a couple of turnovers here and there. But a guy that, that really has no fear with ball in hand is willing to take that extra step or the extra bounce or, you know, kick at the extra five meters to, to, to hit someone, you know, a little bit further up the ground than, than always going the safe option um, is one of those kind of guys that can, can break games open. And I feel like if he gets a chance kind of early in the year, you know, he's had some injury issues over the last 12 months. Um, you know, if, if he can, if he can get a chance and break into the team, then he could be a hard one to, to, pull out of the team, especially if guys like Patton or Webster or whatever are not playing to their full ability. Um, someone who's got the skill and and the the you know the the balls of Leo Connolly with ball in hand could could be really important. I think one of the obvious ones has, has been Windhager obviously based on preseason performance and, and if we take that as hopefully a given, obviously nothing is in, in footy and especially with us, but um, one I will mention who's been really sharp in the pre-season, uh, and we know his ball use is elite, but uh, Nasai Wanganin Malera has been really impressive. I thought he was excellent against uh, Essendon on the, the weekend. He's been used a bit off half-back, pushing up onto the wing, and he's another one of those guys. You want him to play most weeks and play well because he can hurt teams, so um, I'd love to see him, and I think he will take a step. I think he's t- he seems to have taken to Ross's system pretty well. It looks like he's slotted into what he's trying to do. So, um, yeah, I think we'll see him hopefully kick on a bit as a player and hopefully kick the footy a lot. I think he, on the weekend he had 17 kicks and three hand passes. You, you'd love mm-hmm. that type of ratio for him given his ball use. So that would be great to see. Um, hopefully he re-signs yeah. early in the season as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's always a concern. A few of our listener questions, and we like to feed these through over the course of the year. Uh, Tully Whiteman, we've kind of addressed it, but he says if we can hold it together somewhat and start to get players back from injury before round seven, what does our record look like at that stage? I'd love to be three and three going into round seven. I think we'd probably take that if we could. 
Uh, at Sky Blue Sainter, H, has Jones' time as a guaranteed starter come to an end? And I'll ask a two-parter to you. Bob Khan says, is Jack Billings best 22? So same question for those two players. If both fit, Jones, yes. he He's best 22. Billings is probably right on the cusp now. He's he's had a fair time. Um, I I think there's a few play, more players who have come in who would probably take Billings' position than there had, is who would take Jones's position. Um, so I think, yeah, I think Jones he has the pace ability over the pace. Um, skill over the top of Billings. He's probably got the hardness at the ball. He's if if I had basically had the twenty second position available and the older two I'm picking between, Jones would be the one I'd be taking. So um I think that's that's where the two sit that yeah Billings is probably just on the outer at the moment if he's fit. Some good questions here that hopefully we've addressed already. Max C asking who gets the key forward role. Thoughts on Sharman and Caminiti. Uh, also, Ben Alexander asking the question about a lot of armchair experts predicting us to finish bottom four, and he disagrees with that based on the list and the fixture. Um, might touch on Discount Dracula, which is a great name, uh, asking the question about the leaked Ross audio. Um, which was actually quite St Kilda, um, so a nice little early kickoff for that. But um, uh, one here from Shay, Nick, why is finishing bottom half okay under Ross but not Rats? Are we all a bit blindsided by the romance of Ross and the gang coming back? I guess my counter question to that would be, um, I'm not sure too many of us have embraced the prospect of finishing bottom half, but there's obviously a transitional aspect of that as well. There, there is, and that does exist. I think, you know, almost in any situation when you have a, a new coach coming in, regardless of whether they're a new old coach or an old new coach, whatever you want to, whichever way you want to put it. Um, uh, but I also think it comes down to the expectations. I think at times we tend to overrate our own players and our list, and and I think we saw, you know, we probably didn't hit expectations over the last couple of years, despite playing some pretty good footy at at times. Um, and I think now the expectation is, especially now with the the injuries and, and all that sort of stuff, is that there are some excuses. Not not that I am happy with it, um, but there are some excuses if we lose some early games. And once you do that, it is incredibly hard to come back from. Uh, but also that that it's not necessarily in year one of bringing a coach like Ross back in year one. It's not necessarily all about the Ws and, and Ls. That it's about you know how they how they line up. It's about the work ethic. It's about the discipline, the accountability, the, the structure, the game plan, the strategy, all those things coming together. Um, and someone like a Ross that, that is so kind of controlling and, and sets the standard at, at that level. We know that he's come out and said that he's going to be a bit softer and he's not going to control as much. He's going to delegate more. But, you know, if you follow the things that, that you're starting to read about that leaked audio are, are to be believed, <laughs> then maybe he's not so soft and cuddly after all. Um you know, so we'll see, and I'm not sure. Like I said, I'm not sure I'm content with the the excuse, but I think that some of the 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 understanding or the expectation um, that we're potentially not a top four team as we might have thought, you know, after 2020 and that that second half season run under Rats, um, that, that maybe that the the level of expectation 
in year one under Ross again is not as high as it would have been. Potentially, Frats was still there. Um, and maybe there's a bit of you know memory around Ross's first season and how long it took the group to kind of come to grips with his uh, his structure and his game plan and all that type of stuff that it took kind of 14 weeks, 16 weeks for that to kind of really meld with with a, a team that was already very talented and established. Um, and it did take some time. Uh, Richard also asked a question, perhaps as the last one to finish, about uh, best players to come to the Saints from another team. He puts that in the context of that we have obviously quite a few on our list at the moment. Steele, Membry, people forget he played obviously one game at Sydney. Brad Crouch, Brad Hill, Mason Wood, uh, etc. Um Best coming from another club. So we've had a couple on the podcast that were right. Obviously, he wouldn't necessarily be the best of all time, but Paul Callery was a good player coming across from Melbourne. He was a guest on our podcast. Russell Morris was another one. A technicality, which I don't think counts, uh, it was Carl Dittrich, obviously, because he played for St Kilda, went to Melbourne, but then came back again. So, But probably can't pay that. But the ones that stand out to me, Jack Steele, obviously, dual best and fairest winner. Fraser Garrick, very much so. Um his impact for the Saints was outstanding. Do we count Stephen Milne, who was a rookie-listed player at Essendon, didn't play for them, but so again, that's probably a technicality. So I'll go Steele and Garrick with honourable mentions to Paddy Ryder and Michael Gardner as well in recent times. And memory probably was, deserves a, a good mention. Yeah, Paddy Ryder was one I thought deserved mm. to be on, on that list. I mean, yeah. He was only with us for a short time, but had – had an, an incredible impact. And, and Aaron Hamill's another one, I yeah. think. Um, you know, in terms of the impact of, of kind of what he what he started when he came to the club, he obviously he came in through that Malcolm Blight year uh, and then really took on that leadership kind of example and uh, and um, mentoring position kind of through the Grant Thomas years and, and really brought on guys like, um, you know, Rui and Lenny and, and all those guys that, that his impact on the club, I think, outweighs his on-field performance, which was also you know, really good mm. um, while he was fit. Obviously, he had, he had a lot of issues in, in that regard as well. So yeah, it's hard to go past someone like a, a Fraser Gehrig or a, or a Jack Steele, um, best and fairest winners, Coleman winners, that sort of stuff. But yeah, there's been a bunch of guys and, and you know, Mason Wood is in that conversation in in terms of who's on the list currently that, that's having an impact. And you know, we, we've done fairly well in recent times of bringing guys over to, to have an impact. Yeah, most we of just, our forward line. Like we yeah. just won't make a list of players <laughs> the other way. They might, might get a few tears there. So. Yeah, I was, was going to say it's it's well, it is. It's obvious who the the best one to go the other way was. Mm. But Ian Stewart's obviously in that frame as well. But um, but yeah, clearly clearly Plugger um, tops that list, unfortunately. But. Um, yeah, we've had some good players come back the other way. But uh, keep feeding those questions through over the course of the season. Um, I'll take a, a hiatus at some stage in about a month's time for a few weeks. Uh, but we'll be back on deck, so we'll have a rotation of hosts. Um, and, yeah, we, we look forward to reconvening after round one when we take on Fremantle. Uh, we may even squeeze a, a quick chat in beforehand, but we'll keep you updated around all of that. But Fremantle Sunday week, uh, the opening round clash, a twilight game, Ross against his old side, technically for his old side as well. But year 150 about to kick off. And boys, thanks for uh, for jumping on again. And we look forward to season five. <laughs>